four Sundays ago, we lit the first Advent candle as a reminder of the hope we have in Christ. Three weeks ago, we lit the second candle as a reminder of the peace he gives. Two weeks ago, we lit the third candle as a reminder of the joy he brings. Last Sunday, we lit the fourth candle as a reminder of the love God shows us in Christ. Tonight, the Advent season ends, we wait no longer. The great event for which we waited has happened. God's promise of a redeemer is fulfilled. Christ Jesus is born. We light the Christ candle with praise to our God who sent our Savior into the world. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. We, while we look forward to that wonderful event when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing what is right. Titus 2, 11, 14. Amen. Thank you, Fran and Colleen. Now, if everybody would please stand up and join us and lift your voices together as we sing Joy to the World.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we could be here tonight to worship together in music, Lord, and in the reading of your word. We thank you, God, that this is a time, more than any other time of year, that we celebrate the advent of Jesus coming to this earth as a helpless baby and yet fully the creator of the entire universe. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. We thank you, Lord, that we can know you personally. And Father, we just pray that as we worship you tonight, as we remember why it is that you came, Lord, that you be glorified in everything that we do here. And Lord, we just pray that you would also speak to each and every one of our hearts individually. Father, that we would just humbly come before you as your son Jesus humbly came to this earth. And Lord, we pray, God, that as we sing these songs, as we read your word, and as you do speak to us, Lord, again, that you would be glorified in all that we do here tonight as we celebrate your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask your blessing. Amen. So welcome again. And uh, thank you for coming to New Village. Uh, just to, oh, oh yeah, sorry, please sit down. You're, you're so obedient, you know, it's like, you forget sometimes, you know. Um, anyway, it's, it's a little warm. I, I, I'm not sure if we were celebrating Easter or Christmas, but in any case, uh, just a few quick announcements before um, we move on with our uh, Christmas celebration. If everybody would please just turn your cell phones off. It's, um, it just uh, it helps not to interrupt the service, and it's kind of embarrassing for you when they go off. Uh, we do have a nursery in the back, um, so if, if you're new to New Village and you need uh, nursery care, you just go out these back doors and circle around to the back over here, and we have people that would take care of your children for you. Um, it is a candlelight service. At the end, we're going to do Silent Night and have a candle uh, lighting ceremony. So everybody, if you don't have a candle, you would want to go back out the doors or, or even our ushers could help you um, with the candle. And just don't hold on to it the whole service because by the time we light them, they'll be bent over. You know, they get kind of uh, wet, not wet, soft. Um, we do have a few free gifts for people. And uh, one of them is called A Very Different Christmas. So if, if you're interested in understanding more about who Jesus is and, and what it is that and why it is that he came to this earth, um, please feel free to take one of these. They're right next to where you picked up your candles. We also have uh, free uh, booklets of the Gospel of John um, telling you uh, more about uh, Jesus being the Son of God, and it's just a tremendous uh, book of the Gospel. And then also we have one other out there, which I believe is a little bit further to the right as you leave the sanctuary. It's called The Light of Christmas, and just a, a, a wonderful um, a book on Christmas uh, for your family, and just, uh, you know, some new ideas in there that perhaps uh, some of us haven't thought about before. So, again, welcome to our, welcome to our New Village Christmas celebration, and now the Camelone clan is uh, going to um, treat you to a little town of Bethlehem.
guys. Thank you. I'm going to read the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, if we could please stand together again and lift our voices as we sing, Angels We Have Heard on High.
Oh, you may be seated. That can go to your head, you know. Okay. When you think about Jesus coming to earth as a baby, and I, I think about these things sometimes, and you say, you know, like this big, you know, like God had to have his diaper changed, and God had to be fed. It's, it's amazing. So why did Jesus do it that way, come into this world as a baby? Well, to help maybe answer that question just a little bit, I just want to read you this story, this analogy. There was once a man who did not believe in God, and he did not hesitate to let others know how he felt about religion and religious holidays. His wife, however, did believe, and she raised their children to also have faith in God and Jesus, despite her husband's disparaging comments. One snowy eve, his wife was taking their children to a service in the farm community in which they lived. They were going to talk about Jesus' birth, so she asked him to come, but he refused. That story is nonsense, he said. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? That's ridiculous. So she and the children left, and he stayed home. A while later, the winds grew stronger, and the snow turned into a blizzard. As the man looked out the window, all he saw was a blinding snowstorm. He sat down to relax before the fire for the evening. Then he heard a loud thump, and ten seconds later, another thump, and another thump, and he realized something was hitting the window. He looked out, but he could not see more than a few feet. When the snow had let up, he ventured outside to see what could have been beating on his window. In the field near his house, he saw a flock of wild geese. Apparently, they had been flying south for the winter when they got caught in the snowstorm and could not go on. They were lost and stranded on his farm with no food or shelter. They just flapped their wings and flew around the field in low circles, blindly and aimlessly. A couple of them had flown into his window, it seemed. The man felt sorry for the geese and wanted to help them. The barn would be a great place for them to stay, he thought. It's warm and safe. Surely they could spend the night and wait out the storm. So he walked over to the barn and opened the doors wide, then watched and waited, hoping they would notice the open barn and go inside. But the geese just fluttered around aimlessly and did not seem to notice the barn or realize what it could mean for them. The man tried to get their attention, but that just seemed to scare them, and they moved further away. He went into the house and came out with some bread, broke it up, and made a breadcrumb trail leading to the barn. They still did not catch on. Now he was getting frustrated. He got behind them and tried to shoo them toward the barn, but they only got more scared and scattered in every direction except toward the barn. Nothing he did could get them to go into the barn where they would be warm and safe. Why don't they follow me, he exclaimed. Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive the storm? He thought for a moment and realized that they just would not follow a human. If only I were a goose, then I could save them, he said out loud. Then he had an idea. He went into the barn, got one of his own geese, and carried it, carried it in his arms as he circled around behind the flock of wild geese. He then released it. His goose flew through the flock and straight into the barn, and one by one the other geese followed it to safety. He stood silently for a moment as the words he had spoken a few minutes earlier replayed in his mind. If only I were a goose, then I could save them. Then he thought about what he had said to his wife earlier. Why would God want to be like us? That's ridiculous. Suddenly it all made sense. That is what God had done. We were like the geese, blind, lost, and perishing. 
God has sent his son, had sent his son to become like us so he could show us the way and save us. As the winds and blinding snow died, as the winds and blinding snow died down, his soul became quiet and pondered this wonderful thought. Suddenly he understood why Christ had come. Years of doubt and disbelief vanished with the passing storm. He fell to his knees in the snow and prayed his first prayer. Thank you, God, for coming in human form to get me out of the storm. That is why Jesus came to earth, born as a baby in a humble manger, so that he could lead you and me to God, to heaven, to be with him forever and ever.
Well, I must say, uh, I'm so appreciative of uh, each one who has helped us with our music this evening. I don't know about you, but I find music to be uh, quite helpful uh, in celebrating. And uh, it is so uh, wonderful to have such a variety of music tonight. We appreciate it very much. I'm sure most of us are fascinated, I would guess many of us are fascinated with all the abundance of lights that are on display at this time of the year. Uh, I read, I think I shared earlier with our church family several weeks ago that I read somewhere that uh, the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree has over 46,000 lights that they turn on one particular occasion. Every time I hear things like that, I'm sorry, but I always ask the question, who counted them all? <laughs> I mean, I don't know where they come up with these statistics, but anyway, 46,000. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm sure there's not too many of us that enjoy driving around the neighborhoods uh, looking at a house that has one light on. We like an abundance of lights, don't we? It's the, it's the number of lights joined together that really gets our attention. But tonight, I'm going to focus our thoughts not on the many, many different lights of Christmas. I want us to think about the light of Christmas. And so I'm going to use a little tool to help me try to make the point. And here I'm pointing on the ceiling. I hope you can see it. But there's a red laser pointer. And I'm not going to shine it in your eyes, so just relax. Uh, I, of course, the purpose of this is to use it to point to something, usually on a projection somewhere. But I have one light. Not very impressive, is it? I mean, it's sort of amazing that somehow it has concentrated the beams and rays of light into one little tiny spot. But that little light is to try to help us remember and focus on the light of Christmas. And as Larry read earlier from Luke chapter 2, it's interesting to go back in time before there were any kind of electric lights and to start to think to yourself, well, where did light come from or how was light produced before they had uh, you know, electricity and these light bulbs? And I would suggest to you the common, most common way was they used fire. And so that could be fire in terms of a candle. It could be a, um, perhaps a lamp an oil lamp or some sort of torch. And this was the primary way before they had flashlights and batteries and electric light bulbs that the world was a very dark place. When the sun went down, all you had was moonlight on a nice full night. By the way, you have full moon tonight, I think. It's close to it. Uh, there's some moon, but then you had the light of a flame of fire. And that's about it. But on this particular night, Long, long ago, this night stands out from all the others in terms of the brilliance of light that was seen, the light of Christmas. I'm calling it the original light of Christmas that lit up the night sky. This original light of Christmas was a momentous, history-changing event, announcing the birth of a baby, of all things. But not just any baby, a long-awaited king, the Messiah. Now, the identity of this little helpless baby was not obvious because the baby was born really in a place where it 
you would expect maybe a, a royal child to be born in a palace, and that palace would have all sorts of torches lit and all sorts of light up at night in a very impressive place. Not, not there at all. It's born in obscurity, really, in Bethlehem. Uh, and by the way, I'm reading an article that told, uh, sort of clarified something, that uh, the term there, in, there was no room in the inn. Inn means really a guest room. And so there was no room in the guest room, so they probably slept downstairs in a, in a house where they probably kept the animals uh, is very likely what uh, the real setting there was. Sorry to take away some of our myths that we follow. But anyway, uh, so here in this place in obscurity in Bethlehem, this baby is born. And so how does the word get out? Because it wasn't a very impressive uh, event at that moment. And so God takes it upon himself to announce on this dark, dark night to make known this momentous history-changing event by bringing forth an angel to make this pronouncement of good news to some shepherds. I mean, people who are watching sheep under the stars, maybe on the light of the moon is helping them see the contours of the, of the fields there. But there they are under the dim light of the stars. And all of a sudden, before these, these shepherds comes this amazing I would call the original light of Christmas, which blew their socks off. It really floored them. The, the text of Scripture says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I understand that to mean, don't think flashlight, don't think little tiny light like this, don't think any kind of candle or torch, think brilliant, super white light that is so bright you can't hardly look at it. Imagine if that all of a sudden starts appearing to you when you're out in, a, in an obscure place. It's obviously something that would be highly frightening, scary, intimidating. And this startling, alarming event informing these simple shepherds left them feeling extremely afraid. The original light of Christmas was a glimpse of the glory of God. Now, I don't know if you think much about that, but if you were to ever have an encounter with or have God interrupt your day or your night and all of a sudden just show up, I think your reaction would be similar to those shepherds. You would be sorely afraid. Because God's glory is awesome. It is unmatched in its brilliance. And seeing a glory, the glimpse of the glory of God, these men were feeling exposed. They were feeling vulnerable. They were feeling intimidated by this incredible sight. And so the point here is that the original light of Christmas was meant to what? verify that what the message of the angel came and delivered, that is that there is this king that's born, there is now a savior that's been given to the human race, that I, God, I'm working here. I'm actively involved in bringing about a plan that's going to help things become better and rescue people who've been living in darkness. In order to verify that this little baby boy who'd just been born in Bethlehem was sent from God, and he really was the Messiah, he really was the King of the Jews. The original light of Christmas 
shown around this messenger and proclaim the news. Because let's be honest, babies are born all the time, aren't they? It is amazing. I'll grant you. Haven't had our grandchild yet, but waiting patiently. <laughs> but babies are born all the time. But this particular baby is a unique, one-of-a-kind, one-and-only baby, born in the city of David, which was a messianic promise. And that little baby was wrapped with strips of cloth, put down into a feeding trough, which, again, you say, talk about obscurity and humility. But it was uniquely announced with this brilliant, glorious light from heaven above. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot. What would happen if God were to interrupt your life with brilliant light of his glory? That didn't exactly happen to me on October the 4th of this year. But let me tell you something. God interrupted my life. <laughs> I was working out on an elliptical machine in a hotel workout room and all of a sudden experienced all sorts of strange pains and struggles with breathing and things. And I thought I was going to die. And learned thereafter, not too, far, not too long after that, that there was a serious problem with my body, my artery, uh, that leads away from my heart and going down toward my legs, had torn on the inside, all sorts of damage done there. And I could have died. And let me tell you something. When God interrupted my life, he got my attention. <laughs> I was listening. And I was very much humbled to realize that my life was fragile and my life was a gift. Every day was a gift from God. And if God were to reveal news to these shepherds by means of a glory, his own glory, shining down upon them to the point where they're so afraid, I would guarantee you they're listening very carefully. And they acted upon that. And they took it to heart. And I would just like and hope and pray that tonight as we think about this news of what God has done in the giving of his son and sending of his son, providing a savior, that we won't just sort of dismiss it and go on with life, but we'll take it to heart. It truly will sober us. It will make us stop and think and say, why would God do this? And the answer is because he loves us and doesn't want to leave us in darkness. Well, I want to move on quickly to our next point, and that is when people are afraid of glorious light, I think this original light of Christmas was meant to give them a measure of assurance that God is now doing something for them because if their life has been characterized by living in the darkness of uncertainty, they've been living in the darkness of discouragement, the darkness of depression where some of us maybe struggle with at times in life. Some of us know what it is to be in the darkness of division and discord where relationships have been ripped apart. And some of us know what it is to have the darkness of the depravity of our own hearts. We know that we do things that we are ashamed to admit to anybody. That we think those things, we say those things, we do those things. And into that darkness, God has come and he says, I have not given up on this darkened world. I have come to bring hope. I have come to bring a rescuer. I am sending my son to be a savior, to deliver my people out of the kingdom of darkness. And apart from God's help, let's be honest, all of us live our lives cut off 
from the ongoing deep fellowship and communion with the God who made us. That's because we're naturally inclined toward darkness. But the original light of Christmas, in giving us that light, God wants everyone who lives in this dark world to know that there is hope. There is hope for change. There is hope for change in the world. There is hope for change in our own hearts. There is hope for change in our relationships with the true and the living God. There is hope for change in your family. There's hope and change even for your own neighborhood where you live. Why did Jesus announce this wonderful coming? Did God announce it? It's because Jesus has come on a rescue mission to bring light to those who were dwelling in darkness. I hope we're listening when God gives us that news. The second thing I want us to point out here real quickly is that this infant baby, Jesus, didn't remain a baby. He continued to grow just like a normal human being. He had stages of, of uh, growth and improvement and understanding. And I want to go on to suggest to you that he became the one and only light of the world. We, we find no mention of Jesus as a baby doing anything miraculous. There's no account in scriptures of Jesus, uh, you know, uttering some sort of babbling sound and, and uh, here come things floating around him or what. No, nothing ridiculous like that. But if you fast forward and you come upon reading about Jesus' life as he grew up, Jesus made some bold, remarkable statements about himself. He claimed not to just be a person who had authority. He claimed to be God. Now imagine if I did that. I hope you'd get me some help fairly soon because I would have obviously gone off the deep end. But for Jesus to make that claim, and I want us to consider the text that's in your bulletin there. I don't know if you can read your bulletin in this dark light here, but John 8, 12. Jesus is celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a, a time in which they're rehearsing the time in which the children of Israel were making their way through the wilderness. He's in the temple complex. There are many, many torches that have been lit every night. The place is ablaze with all sorts of light. It's a very impressive illumination, they called it, in the temple complex. And Jesus stands up and says in the middle of all this in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. What a statement. Jesus did not claim to be a light among the various Israelites. He did not claim to be a light shining in Judah or Jerusalem, like I am a teacher and I'm one among many who are there. No, Jesus says, I am the one and only light of the world, the light of the world. Now, when the religious leaders, people who were in the know, if you will, among those who were highly religious at that time, they hear him saying these things, and guess what their reaction was? They knew exactly what he was saying. He was deliberately claiming to be God because he's not only saying the I am statement. Whenever you, the, the name for God, he revealed about himself in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, God revealed uh, to Moses, he says, I am who I am. That is, I've always existed. I am the self-existent God. And whenever G, uh, Jesus says the I am statement, he's in a sense borrowing that idea, claiming to be God. 
And numerous well-known messianic prophecies were well-known in the Hebrew scriptures in which the Messiah would be someone who, what, was the light of the world. Isaiah chapter 49, I will make you a light of the nations. And on and on and on. So the religious leaders, when they hear him saying that, they're saying, no, 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 no. You can't say that and get by with that. They discounted his claim. They insisted that his claim could not possibly be true. And as I've thought about that, I've thought to myself, what a tragedy to hear Jesus makes this claim and he's provided in his, in his three years of ministry, he's provided an abundance of evidence that he was the Messiah. There was no question that he was the Messiah. He raised dead people to life. He merely spoke and raised his voice and made one command and made a, 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 a terrible storm with the wind howling and the waves crashing with one statement saying, be still, the whole thing calmed down, including the waves. He would take people who were under demonic bondage and by speaking they would be delivered and set free. And yet his works were dismissed by those who were standing around them who were the supposedly religious people in the know. They, his miracles were ignored and there was, there was no shortage of evidence that Jesus was indeed the supreme one. There was much evidence to show that he truly was not just a light of the world. He was the light of the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus, there's more evidence of it. After he laid down his life on the cross and died, he was laid in a tomb. And three days later, what? He was raised to life again. But you know, it's interesting how some people prefer darkness rather than light. Some people are given evidence of light and truth. And they just discount it, dismiss it, and say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying that. And they believe what they want to believe and dismiss and discount the truth. Some people like to have a broad mind. They pride themselves on being broad-minded. And they find it objectionable that there is, according to the scriptures and according to Jesus, there's only one light of Christmas, one light of the world. Some people stumble over the exclusive claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one can come to the Father except through Him. Now I have in my hand this little pointer. It has a little deal where you can connect it to a computer. And there are several buttons, which I'll push right now. They do nothing to help me with the light. They move the prompt to move it to the next slide or whatever with the computer but I'll push this one light and I get the light shining. There's only one light There's, and it comes when I push the one button. It's exclusive. <laughs> There's only one way to turn the light on. Now if I step on it or throw it, what, I'm not gonna turn the light on, I gotta push the one button. Jesus declares that those who follow him will not walk in darkness. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, let me tell you, it's going to be different than this kind of following. Follow this light for a second. I'm going to start over here on this side, on your left. I'm going to go this way. I'll go back toward the back. Oh, look how far it goes. Turn around. Here we go. Come back up this way. All right, you watching it? Okay, I'll come back up this. Here we go. All right, everybody's watching it. Okay, hopefully 
We won't keep doing that all night. All right. What did that require of you? Bend your neck a little bit? Move your eyes around a little bit? That's it. Didn't really take any kind of serious giving up of anything, right? Gave up your attention for a second there. But following Jesus means that we submit fully to him. It means that we yield to his leading. He's the one in front. He's determining which way is the right way to go. He's the one with the authority. He's the one with the knowledge of the right way to go in life. And following Jesus means that we what? That we acknowledge he is the one and only light worth following, worthy of following. He dispels darkness and he says, if you follow me, keep on following me. If you are following me, you will not walk in darkness. I don't know where you are in terms of the darkness in your life, but that's a wonderful promise of hope. That if you will follow Jesus, Jesus who eventually went to the cross saying, I'm laying down my life for you. That's the way to find life is to follow me and to heed my voice and to submit to me and to trust me and to make me your Lord and your master. He says, you will find life. You will find light that continues to live on and on and on. And Jesus, I think, is insisting when he's standing there in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, in the temple complex with all these lights going on, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I think what Jesus is saying is, like the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel into the promised land, he says, you follow me, I'll make sure you get into the promised land. That's what he's saying. And Jesus is saying to us tonight, listen, I know the way out of the darkness. The darkness of ignorance the darkness of impurity that you might be struggling with, the darkness of sorrow, the darkness even of death, which may be petrifying some of you. Believe me, I thought a lot about death in this last year. And because of Christ, I have no fear of dying. I'm following Jesus. He made it through death and came up with newness of life, so I have that same confidence because of him. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Give yourself totally to me. He's saying, I will lead you into the promised land. What's my point here tonight? Point number one was the original light of Christmas. God interrupts and gives us good news. Are you listening? The second point is, there is only one light of the world. It is Jesus Christ. He alone can set you free from living in a life of darkness. Let's follow him. And I just want to commend to you as we conclude tonight that there, some of you may find yourself saying, well, you know, I don't know what to do in celebrating a life of light. I don't know what it means to maybe follow Christ and put some practical things in place. Uh, this is a helpful little booklet that's free. We're giving it to you. You say, well, there's an ideas for Christmas Eve to celebrate. There's ideas for Christmas Day to celebrate in your family, incorporate something a little bit more meaningful perhaps into your celebration, and also in the rest of the year. There's some interesting ideas. You say, well, I've already missed Christmas Eve. Well, hang on to it for next year. It could be quite helpful to you. And one more thing I'd just like to point out to you. If you're here tonight and you have some questions and you have some things I may have said or some things that you may have begun to think about, 
and you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and what all does that entail? What does it mean to have life that's ongoing and light? We have a little response card. If you want to fill one of those out and leave it behind or hand it to me, we'd love to give it back to you and email you or call you or set up an appointment where we can talk to you and show you in the scriptures how you can know Christ and know the God who made you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the original light of Christmas that did not come to destroy, did not come to condemn that brilliant, scary glory of God that shone round about. But we thank you, Lord, that in that glory you are giving us a foretaste of how we need to hear some good news. We need a Savior. We thank you that that's what has been announced to the human race. Help us, Lord, to heed that call. Help us not to ignore that call. Help us to realize that there are different ways in which you can interrupt our lives and get our attention, Lord. Help us, we pray, to listen carefully to this bright light that stopped those shepherds in their tracks. And Lord, I pray also that tonight will be a night where some of us think deeply about what it means to follow Jesus not to follow our ideas, not to follow our dreams, not to follow what works best for me and for the people around me, but Lord, what, what it means to follow Jesus Christ, who is truly the one and only light of the world. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us what these things mean and teach us, Lord, what it means to have life in Christ, how we thank you that he came, he died for our sins on that cross, he was raised to newness of life for our justification to make us be declared right with you, Lord, help us to trust him fully and follow him all the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to encourage you to have your candles available to you. And we're going to uh, darken the light.
follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I want to again challenge you to think, what would it mean for you to follow Jesus Christ? Is he calling you to give up something? Can you stop in some area you're pursuing in your life in order to know and enjoy the greatest treasure you'll ever know? A relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Others of us, what is God calling us to pursue, to go after following him. Let's think about what he would have us do in those areas. Why? Because he loves us enough and gives us new life, giving his life for us that we might enjoy a new status, a new privilege of being right with God. Let's extinguish our candles off those in prayer. Can you stand with me? And then let's Gracious God, how we thank you for the good news that we celebrate. The good news of great joy that has been given to us, that there's a Savior for us, there's somebody to rescue us from the darkness in our lives. The darkness that surrounds us, the darkness that's in our hearts, the darkness that's part of the mess that we've made of our lives. And many things, Lord, we look back on and realize how far astray we've gone. We thank you that there's hope for all of us, Lord. We pray that we might pursue Jesus Christ, that we might follow hard after him. We pray, Lord, that we might indeed know what it is to no longer walk in darkness, Lord. Give us a new year of walking in newness of life. Give us a year, Lord, in which we find that we have the light of life in our lives, Lord. Thank you for Jesus' ability to change us, to transform us, and to give us new desires and new um, aspirations. And so, Lord, do your mighty work in our hearts, we pray, as we celebrate your grace, your love, and your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We all have a blessed and very good Christmas. Amen.